you have your Bible or New Testament with you, would you take it out, please, and turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 21 here in just a moment. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. Uh, thank you, Dave, for leading us in those songs. They go perfectly with the lesson this evening, and thank you for participating in our worship to God. We'll be in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 here in just a moment. Tragedy almost struck yesterday uh, at the Masters Golf Tournament, which is like the Super Bowl of golf, uh, when three large, very large pine trees fell uh, and almost crushed several spectators. Uh, the video, if you haven't seen it, is really kind of incredible. People scatter like ants, and there's this one lady who just freezes And trees fall on each side of her, and she's right there in the middle. It's really amazing that nobody got hurt. Everybody was all right. But it was odd when you looked at these trees. We understand why they fell, because the ground was absolutely saturated from lots of rain, lots of storms, and then high winds on top of that. But if you looked at the bottom of these trees after they fell, there was hardly any root system at all. Apparently, these trees had been moved in rather recently and made to look like they'd been there for years and years, but the roots, well, there just weren't enough, and they didn't go down deeply enough. Well, that fits pretty well with what we've been talking about in our congregational focus for this year, being rooted and grounded. And last quarter, we talked about being rooted and grounded in Christ. And what a wonderful place for us to begin. If we're rooted and grounded in Christ, all of these other things should fall into place. But this quarter, we want to look at another one of those intertwined roots where we're rooted and grounded, not just in Christ, but rooted and grounded in the faith. And then next quarter, we'll look at being rooted and grounded in love. So read with me, if you would, in Colossians chapter 1. We want to have the kind of faith that has the depth of root and the amount of root that we're not going to be blown over when the storms come. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul says this, And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul uses the phrase, the faith, there in verse 23, and he says we should continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and that we should not be moved away from the hope that we have in this faith. And so my question is, as we think about this idea of being rooted and grounded in the faith, what does Paul mean by the faith? You know, we usually think about faith as something that we have, our belief, which motivates us to action, our response to God, maybe. But I don't think that's what Paul means when he says the faith. We know that the New Testament uh, uses that word faith at, at least in a couple of different ways. Usually we think of faith in terms of our subjective personal faith that we all individually have in Christ. 
But it's also used in an objective sense of the system of faith, the faith, one faith, which we might say refers to the gospel or the doctrine of Christ, the divine absolute standard of trust revealed in the New Testament which embodies the Christian doctrine once for all delivered to the saints, as Peter says. That is the faith used in the same way we might say the Muslim faith, for example. Uh, We wouldn't be talking about the faith of individual Muslims if we said that, but instead we'd be talking about Islam, the, the Muslim religion. Which faith is intended by the New Testament authors is usually determined by the context. And if you've never heard that before, it might, it might sound confusing at first, but we can usually see it very clearly when we get to the actual specific passages. So, for example, if I put 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5 up here, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's my faith. That's my faith in Christ. Uh, That's my genuine faith uh, by which I am going to love others as I should and have a good conscience and so forth. But we also see this objective system of faith in Galatians 1 and verse 23. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us, referring to Paul, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Well, that's not talking about Paul's individual faith, right? Instead, it's talking about the system of faith, the way, Christianity, the gospel, the doctrine of Christ. And I think we can see that pretty clearly. Um, Harold has a little booklet tract uh, on the back on the, the visitor table back there, and he actually preached a whole lesson on these two distinctions uh, last year. So I'm not going to re-preach his lesson. Uh, I thought he did a great job with that, and he looked primarily in Acts, the second chapter. Instead, I want us to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul uses the term one faith to make this concept even clearer for us. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. It's very clear to me that Paul is using this word faith, the one faith of that objective system of faith, the gospel that produces faith. Uh, And that's true for a couple of reasons. Number one, while we all have subjective personal faith in Christ, that kind of faith is not one. You have your faith, I have mine with differing levels of maturity and devotion and trust and commitment. And number two, contextually, all the other ones that are listed here, one body or the church, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father, all of these are just objective realities of Christianity. And one faith is no different. So this one faith is talking about one gospel, One true religion, 
one system of faith, one correct and divinely approved doctrine of Christ. So what are the consequences of this fact? If there is the faith, if there is one faith, uh, then I think there are some ramifications. And that's where I really want to focus our time this evening. When Paul says the faith, I believe he has at least three things in mind. Number one, the faith is a proclamation of exclusivity. There is one faith, and it is the only faith approved by God. Religious ecumenicalism is the default position of our society, it seems, and that comes at all sorts of different levels. Uh, how broad do you want to get with accepting everyone? Uh, some would say, well, there are all different paths to enlightenment. You just need to find your truth, whatever it is, uh, and you find yours while trying to be a good person, quote-unquote, and I'll find mine while trying to be a good person, and everybody will be okay. Others would say, well... you." You really need God in your life. Just worship God. And some would say whether that's Allah in Islam or God uh, in Judaism or God in Christianity, it's all God, so what's the big deal? As long as you worship God, you're going to be okay. And maybe we'll reject uh, you know, humanism, we'll reject Eastern religions of some kinds, but you, know, you just got to worship one God, perhaps. Others would say, well, well you really need, you need Jesus... And so you need to wear the name Christian. And as long as you say you're a Christian, it doesn't matter really which cult or denomination you come from. That's good enough as long as you say you're a Christian. And the problem with all of those positions, in my judgment, is that the Bible teaches that there is one faith, not many. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it is only in Christ, it is only in Christ that we can find salvation. Uh, if you go to Galatians chapter 3, uh, go back to Galatians chapter 3, we'll be looking in Ephesians, Galatians, and Colossians primarily this evening. Galatians chapter 3, Let's begin reading in verse 22. But Scripture has confined all, both Jews and Gentiles in this context, under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So that's our faith in Him. But then he switches slightly, beginning in verse 23. But before the faith came... And yes, in the Greek, the definite article, the the is there. Before the faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is going to be revealed to both Jews and Gentiles. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after the faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the faith, that system of faith that can produce faith in us. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through the faith in Christ Jesus. Through the gospel we are made sons of God. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How would you sum that up? Well, we have to be in Christ for one thing. And it is only in Christ that we have the blessings that he promises. Only in Christ can we become sons of God and heirs according to the promise and have the hope of heaven. And Christ is the one who gets to decide when and how someone gets into him, as we read for ourselves here in this passage. As many as you, as we're baptized into Christ, have, have put on Christ. We've put him on and we're living after him. There is only the faith. Well, there's other faiths out there, but there is only one that is saving. If we go back to Galatians chapter 1, you know, Paul acknowledges that there are other gospels, other faiths out there. Uh, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, a, a different good news, a different doctrine which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then this is one of the boldest, most bold statements in all of Scripture. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anybody preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. We want to be right with God, it must be on His terms according to the one faith. A faith that is unchanging and unchangeable if we want to be right with God. That exclusivity makes some people nervous. The idea of one faith, the faith, demands that kind of exclusivity only found in Jesus Christ. But it's not just a proclamation of, hey, this is the one and only faith. It is also a foundation for us. A foundation is found in this singularity. Paul is telling us that we are founded on something solid. We are not driven and tossed by every wind of doctrine. Uh, that comes from later in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn back over there, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13. There are all of these different roles in a local congregation and we should be growing in those roles and equipping one another for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him who grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ. It's unity of the faith. And we don't have to wonder about this doctrine or that doctrine, strange and different doctrines. We don't have to wait for some religious summit to, to vote on it, for that matter, to decide for us what it is we're supposed to, to be. If it is the faith, then it's the faith now, and it was the faith when it was established, and it will be the faith until Jesus comes again. And that is something that should be, uh, that is something that should be comforting 
to us. Uh, it should be comforting that there is this foundation found in the faith. If you go back to, to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So the church, which, be, which is being described here, begins as any building would. We're a temple. So how does a building begin? It begins with the foundation. And what's the foundation? Well, Christ is the chief cornerstone, and that's what we talked about last quarter, right? But he says we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, it's interesting. We think about New Testament prophets and the apostles. He says that's the foundation. And in the early church, they had lots of other people. There were miracle workers. There were other manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So why the prophets and the apostles? What could they do that other Christians could not do? I almost wish this was Bible class, right? The apostles and prophets did what? They revealed the word of God, the will of God. He's talking about the gospel message, the gospel that the apostles and prophets preached. Another way to put in that? The faith, the one faith. Think of it this way. Um, the United States was built upon the founding fathers, and so that means if you go up to the 13 original colonies, that's the foundation, right? The, on those dead bodies, that's where we're building ourselves up. No. Instead, it's on the ideas that they established this nation upon, the, the principles of a republic government with individual freedoms and so forth. And those men were instrumental in that, but it wasn't founded on them personally. It was founded upon the ideas and ideals that they expressed. And so too, the church isn't founded on the apostles and prophets personally as people, but it's founded upon what it is that they expressed. And that's made explicit down there uh, in verse 5 of chapter 3. The mystery that was revealed, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. The foundation is Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. And the faith, the gospel, the one faith, completes that foundation. And that is not something that should be restricting. That's not something that ought to be narrow-minded. To us, there should be great, great comfort in that. Uh, think about it in terms of, um, think about it in terms later in the book of Ephesians. Maybe Ephesians chapter 5 uh, in verse 30 through 32. <clears throat> think about it in terms of dating versus marriage, maybe. In verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, if you marry the right person, 
it is great not to have uncertainty about all these different paths. That's what dating is, right? Um, my, uh, I was around my oldest nephew some, and he's on the dating scene and all these sorts of things. And, and I just, I think to myself how little of that I miss, right? Now, there are a few things that were kind of fun about it. But mostly, I don't miss that, because instead of having a million different paths and all of this uncertainty, I have one path. I have one spouse, right? And there's great comfort that should be found in that, that this is my mate, my one flesh for life. And that's the way it should be with the faith. We have confidence in where we stand. We have confidence in what's right. We aren't left guessing. The truth is not some moving target, but it is absolute and unchanging. Now, our understanding might change. We might grow, and certainly we ought to be growing. We might see things more clearly. But when we see something, it just means that we have discovered something that was there all along, if it's truly the one faith. We have a solid foundation, an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ through his gospel, And we are one with him in the faith. So the faith is this proclamation of exclusivity. It is only in Christ and the one faith where salvation is found. It's it's our foundation because it's this single thing. And I'm not worried about all these different truths and paths. I have the path, the way in Jesus Christ. And I think we see those two very clearly. But the third is maybe the one that is emphasized the most when we think about the one faith, the faith, that expression, the faith, is an expectation by the New Testament authors of our unity. I hope we haven't missed Paul's main point. The primary point in basically all the passages that we've read so far tonight in Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians, it's the unity of the faith. One flesh, unity in the faith, And we think about all of the expressions that have been used. This is what you were, but you're no longer Jew and Gentile or slave and free or male and female. Now, those roles still exist, but now you are one in Christ Jesus. You are one in the faith. And what is it that should give us that unity? Well, let's go back to Colossians chapter 1, if you would. Colossians chapter 1, where we began our lesson tonight. Let's back up in the context just a little bit to verse 17. And speaking of Christ and his preeminence, verse 17, and he, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Uh, There are some long sections in the book of Ephesians that talk about this making of peace between Jews and Gentiles, and really that's the mystery, right? That that God is going to include the Gentiles in, and it's through Jesus Christ that this peace is going to be made, where Jews and Gentiles are now all under the same covenant. That peace is made in Christ. That peace is made through the blood of His cross, verse 20. 
And so let's pick up now in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That describes all of us when we were separated from Christ. Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed... Okay, so now that's conditional, right? Christ has done this. He has made this unity among us through His blood on the cross. In the body of His flesh, we're presented holy and above reproach, and we are reconciled to Him and to one another if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. We have this unity in the blood of Christ if we continue in the faith. And this sort of unity is so different from what we see in the religious, sadly, in the religious Christian world today, not just in the religious world in general, too often we aren't being built together. And human beings have turned the temple, the temple, sometimes into many different temples. And brothers and sisters, that should absolutely break our hearts. Christ is not supposed to be divided Christ is supposed to be unified. His body under one head is supposed to be unified. So how can that be corrected? Well, there are lots of different ideas out there in how we might correct it. Some have tried to unite according to all sorts of physical or carnal commonalities. And, and I, I don't mean to pick at all, but, but sometimes it's common interests, right? That we have some physical thing in common, and so we can all come together, and, and we all love Jesus, so we can all come together and worship because we have this physical commonality. Uh, there are churches that go by those sorts of names, right? Like a, like a cowboy church. What would I expect to find in a cowboy church? Cowboys, right? And they're all there because, I assume, because they love Jesus. But we can have unity because we all have this other thing in common. Um, I see a few cowboys in the audience. I'm not anti-cowboy by any means, right? But is that really what brings us together? Is that really what should be uniting us? Uh, sometimes it's common appearance, right? Um, I was just in Alabama, uh, and, and I was talking to a brother about this, and I've had several conversations with a, a close friend of mine, a close brother uh, in Christ here in town, that sometimes the commonality is people who look like me physically or racially. I wouldn't fit in without other people like me who are of my race, some say, uh, and the old saying goes that Sunday is still the most segregated day of the week. Well, some people feel comfortable that way. Uh, hopefully that's not our attitude. Our attitude is, well, those things, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, those are all secondary to the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a, it's a cultural fit, right? Uh, it's social status or wealth or nationality or, or maybe it's family or something along those lines. Um, my dad had a close colleague who's a great man, uh, a devout believer in so many ways, 
but he was a superintendent of schools, and when he would go to a new town, you know how he determined where he was going to go to church? He looked at his board, his school board, and wherever most of those people were going to church, that's where he would go to church, right? So it's a, it's a social thing. It's a political thing in some ways. Others have called for what we talked about at the beginning of the lesson, just unity in diversity. Uh, if we can all just hide what we really believe, then maybe we can get along. But is that really where we find unity? And I'm talking about lasting and true unity and compromise and ecumenicalism, just agreeing to disagree, physical or carnal commonalities. I would suggest Christ does not demand unity in any of those ways. Unity is found when we go back to the foundation, when we go back to the cornerstone who is Christ by reestablishing that foundation of the simplicity of the gospel message, by making Jesus Christ and what he has revealed in his word, the message preached by the apostles and prophets, the faith, by making that our guide, our standard, and our uniter. And if we can agree to begin there, we are on the path to unity. Now, I am under no uh, delusions that that unity, that perfect unity among all believers is somehow going to be achieved on this earth. I know that unity is going to be found with those who are His, who ultimately are found in heaven with Christ. But we need to strive to establish this common ground with one another of our faith in Christ and our commitment to seek out and find and follow the faith. Uh, by last count, there are 41,000 Christian denominations. How did that happen? Well, maybe because we just got off the cornerstone a little bit. And you get off a little bit, we get further and further off the further we go. And so maybe what we need to do is just Tear it down and start over. Have you ever had to do that with a project? That's awful, isn't it? Building a shelf, uh, laying out. Jesse and I had to do this one time. Do you remember that, Jesse? Uh, and it was off by one inch on one end, and down on the other end it was off by like 19 inches or something. Um, I threw Jesse under the bus. It was probably my fault that it was that way because I was the helper, right? Sometimes what you have to do is this is just not going to work. We need to tear it down and go back to the basics Go back to the cornerstone. You see, many look at unity by what I would call cheap adhesion. Adhesion, right? Uh, I was out in the parking lot. This is, uh, this is my way to work this into a sermon, I think. There are a few things in my life that I hate more, trivial things, right, that I hate more than stepping in gum, uh, especially in good boots, right? And uh, so I... So I stepped in some gum in the parking lot, and I love all of you so much, I would give myself for you, but in that moment, I'm like, who spent this gum in the parking lot, right? But, and that gum stuck on there. It stuck pretty good, right? I can go home, uh, I can get out this little paint tool, I can get after it, and uh, the gum's gone, right? Right? Now, that was a few weeks ago, but it was these boots. 
and the gum's gone. That's adhesion. And a lot of times that's what we... That's what we're trying to do. We're taking two things that are very different, and we say, well, let's just see if we can just stick them together and see if they'll stay. I think what we really need for unity is not adhesion, but cohesion. You know what cohesion is? Uh, a great example of cohesion is welding. I took welding in high school. Uh, a really close friend of mine actually went down that path, and it was years before anybody made more money than he did. He was a great welder. Uh, and, and what uh, our shop teacher would do is we'd have to m weld these two pieces of metal together. He'd put it in a vise and he'd take a sledgehammer to it. And this one guy, this friend of mine who made a career out of welding, his weld was stronger than the original metal. It was just incredible because those two pieces of metal were fused together to where they're not two pieces of metal anymore. They're one piece of metal. And that's the way it should be with us. That we are both submitting, that we are all submitting ourselves to Christ and submitting ourselves to the faith. And from that submission, Christ joins us together in a way that we cannot be put asunder. In so doing, we can be part of the only exclusive faith that saves, and we can be solidly founded upon the one faith and Christ the cornerstone and have real godly unity in that one faith. It is my prayer, and I think it's Christ's will, that we should seek fervently the faith, that we would hunger and thirst for it, that we would search the Scriptures daily and diligently seeking to find it. And... And this is no excuse for arrogance saying, well, I've found it and nobody else has it. Instead, it's the humility that says, I am constantly seeking to be perfected in this, to grow in this. I want to teach and I want to be taught so that I might be closer to Christ and more closely conform to His faith. And when we do, we will be willing to give up anything make any change of tradition, perform any act of obedience in order to be a part of the faith. So, are you part of the one faith? Are you in Jesus Christ? How do you know? Well, by seeking out, by learning, by believing, and doing what the apostles and prophets revealed, and responding in your own faith to obey the conditions of God's grace. And if we can help you with that tonight, come now, while together we stand and while we sing. <laughs> come to Jesus, the